Hello and welcome to the I Am Necessary podcast. As always, this is your guy, Marcel. So, some facts. Chances are you know someone with diabetes. Could be a friend, could be a family member, or even you. And because the best way to prevent or manage any harmful health condition is to be informed, I wanted to bring one of my friends on to kind of lay down some fundamentals about diabetes, right? And we can get into the stats if you if you don't know like 37 million Americans about 1 in 10 have diabetes but the secret is about 1 in 5 people with diabetes don't even know they have it so with that I want to uh reintroduce and I say reintroduce because if you follow me you know I had this guy on way back in my early days of my podcast and this guy is Dr. William Bottomley What's up, Doc? Not much. Just hope, hoping the third round on the podcast is a lucky number three. <laughs> God, ner- I was I get a little nervous on these things, but uh, but now I'm an experienced veteran, so hopefully I'll do a little better. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm gonna take care of you anyway. Exactly. So, Put it on the T. Yeah. Uh, so for those who, for those three people in the world that haven't listen to my podcast. Let's tell them a little bit about you. So what exactly is your title? So I'm a DO. So if anybody ever sometimes goes to the doctor and they see like an MD, most of people see an MD behind their doctor's name. Sometimes you might see a DO. It just stands for doctor of osteopathic medicine. Probably hundred years ago, there was a significant difference between MDs and DOs. Nowadays, pretty much our training is 95, 99% the same. We all, we kind of train together in residency and stuff like that. There's a few things we, we get taught in medical school that are a little different, but for the most part, it's, it's the same. Yeah. And the, the nutrient is provider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially with the telemedicine, which I'm in now. So provider gives you a blanket because you can have a PA in there. Anybody who's licensed can technically be a provider so you can get Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of cool. So how long have you been in medicine? So I started medical school in 2010, graduated in 2014 and started residency. Then Uh, family medicine residency these days is about three years. So I finished that up in 2017 and started practice uh, in 2017. So this will be actually, I think just a couple of days ago is my fifth year uh anniversary of practicing medicine after residency well on behalf of those you serve happy anniversary man (laughs) thank you (laughs) and what was it that made you get into the field so medicine was not really on my radar even even when i was finishing undergrad i uh I got a degree in zoology, which when you start to look into what you can do with a bachelor's degree in zoology, there's, there's not a ton of options. Well, actually, you know, basically the whole time I had planned on going into academics, um, my dad was a professor um, of microbiology. And so I kind of was just following that, that line. But after I graduated, I Took a little time off, did some traveling, did a little work here and there, and kind of fell out of fell out of love with the uh, 
like the science research side of science and the academic side of science. So I kind of started back at square one and and then through some experiences after undergrad, started to kind of move closer, shift my interest closer to the medicine side, more so like the interaction with people and patients as opposed to the, the uh, research side of medicine and science. So uh, long story short, a few experiences here and there, started thinking about what might be a good career for me and, and medicine was starting to line up pretty nicely. But I had been out of school for a while, for a few years. And so it took a little time to get back into the flow of that. I had to study and take some tests, which took a little while. So started medical school about five years after I graduated from uh, with my bachelor's degree. Okay. And two teed up common questions for you. Number one, let's start with number one. What is it that you love about what you do? The biggest thing was really uh, kind of, I guess I got sidetracked on that last question. The main reason I got into medicine was just the the interaction with, with patients and particularly patients who are either struggling with medical conditions or who are staying healthy and, and want to stay on track with their health. So the, my favorite part of my job is, is seeing those people who are either doing really well, continue to do well, or the people that are maybe struggling. And depending on what they're struggling with, hopefully I can provide them some assistance with directing them down a path that leads them to their health goals. And seeing those goals come to fruition is pretty is pretty rewarding. I mean, it it's really the the patient that does the work typically in my in my expertise, but it is give you a little bit of a nice feeling when you can be a part of that. And on the flip side of that, speaking about your profession, what challenges are you encountering? Well, there's the challenge, there's there, the two different challenges. There's a ch- the challenge of the, with the patient relationship with the patient. And then there's a challenge with just the overall state of healthcare in this country in particular. The, this podcast is not about that. So we won't, <laughs> we won't get into that right now because uh, that could be a whole different podcast. But the challenge, the, the daily challenge is you know, for every patient that you get that comes in and that is experiencing X, Y, Z, and, you know, you talk to them, develop a game plan, they're gung-ho, they come back, you see them next time, and bam, they've they've conquered it, or they're on their way to conquering it. For every one of those people, a handful of people that, that are going to have a, a harder time doing that. Maybe it's their fault, maybe it's the system's fault, it's, or it's a combination of, or it could be my fault and not you know, not identifying the best way to help them as a particular individual. And, but for whatever reason, they're not making the progress that I would like to see or that they'd like to see. And, and that, that can be head scratching sometimes. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. So with that, let's jump into the meat and bones of this. And again, I wanted to just dive into diabetes, because I think it's something that sits out there that a lot of people hear about, but it, it's not me, it's them kind of thing. So let's start off with what exactly is diabetes? I know that's a, you can go anywhere with that question. So I'll let you choose the direction. So yeah, there's, there's a definitely uh, various levels of answer to that. 
But essentially, diabetes is a extremely common disease, especially in the United States, like you said, about, I think it's one in, it's about one in 10 individuals in the United States. And I, that, I think that includes actually children. So when you actually look at adults 18 and up, I think it's a bit higher, like more like one in eight. Um, but basically it's a disease where your body just does not know how to deal with the blood sugar levels and appropriately or efficiently anymore. And you basically have elevated blood sugar, like most people would consider when they think about diabetes. And what are some of the, the signs and symptoms that one could experience that might indicate, hey, you probably need to go get checked? That's a good question. And that is actually one of the biggest problems with diabetes um, in particular, because there really aren't that many. It, it, there are very few early signs, if any, and even the signs that start noticing later on, typically when you get to that point, you're, you're pretty deep into it and your body's really struggling. So you classically like, if you're somebody who never goes to the doctor and you never get blood work done, you're going to, the way you're going to get diagnosed with diabetes is you're going to start not feeling great, just generally kind of fatigue, lackluster, probably, you know, you might think you're not sleeping good and that, or your work's too hard and you're just feeling tired. And then you'll start to, usually the one of the first couple of symptoms, usually you'll start to feel real thirsty. Um, so you just constantly drinking water thinking that, you know, why am I so thirsty all the time? And then on top of that, you'll start, you'll start urinating a lot. And, and then because you're thirsty, you think that you're urinating because you're drinking so much water, but actually you're doing something called diuresing. So your body's body's basically flushing water and you're actually really thirsty and drinking a lot because you're trying to keep up with the loss of fluid and not the opposite. Then really, you know, further on, you, you'll start dropping weight. So some people, I see some people come in and, you know, they'll say, I've been feeling great, but um, I, I, I haven't been. And in fact, they, sometimes they'll say they're eating more because there's another trigger as they start feeling hungry and they'll say, you know, I'm eating, I'm eating a lot, but I'm losing a lot of weight. I lost 20 pounds in the last month that I wasn't even trying. And, and part of them, you know, they, they're actually happy about that because they're like, hey, I lost 20 pounds, you know, <laughs> that's not easy to do. And then, you know, but we've seen that before. So then we'll start asking those other questions. Hey, are you, you, are you peeing a lot? Are you drinking a lot? You know, and they'll usually say yes, yes. You know, and then you check their blood sugar and it's 500, 600, 700. Uh, some of the, you know, and all their other tests are through the roof. And unfortunately you have to tell them, Hey, you know, that weight loss was not the healthiest for your body. And when we need, we need to start treating your diabetes and when your blood sugars go down, you're going to gain all that weight back. But that's. Yeah. Cause to your point early on, it's tough because, you know, most people, if you are fortunate, when you go in to get, if you are, you know, you're using the benefits that your, your job gives you and you go in for a physical your doctor, the number one thing he's going to want a baseline or she's going to want a baseline, which includes, hey, let's go get some blood work done. Let me see what you're working with. And boom, right there is there's some key things on that, that uh, blood work, the results that indicate a lot of things. But the A1C, right, that number is typically what a provider would look at to say, hey, we're going down that path. And I say, you're fortunate if you do that, because if you're fortunate, because what I want to get into now, there's different types 
of diabetes. So if you're fortunate, he may hit you with, hey, you're pre-diabetic. If not, then you talk about type 2, type 1, other types of diabetes. So let's break that down a little bit. What types are there? And tell me a little bit about each type. So most people, the type of diabetes that most people think of, at least like as an adult, is type 2 diabetes. Um, and then most people think of kind of, you hear like adolescent onset or childhood 1 diabetes. So, and they're the ultimate function that you're missing is, you know, the same, but it's just a matter of how you get there. So, so type one diabetes or commonly known as childhood onset diabetes is actually an autoimmune disease where your body basically attacks the cells that are responsible for producing the hormone called insulin. And insulin is basically the, the key when it comes to diabetes. So insulin is essentially a hormone that allows your body to utilize the glucose in your blood the way that it wants to. Because glucose is our, is our fuel. It's our, it's our body's fuel and energy. So, you know, it's really not a bad thing. We need it to survive. But in diabetes, unfortunately, it does become the enemy because we're not utilizing it appropriately. So in type one, going back to that, your body basically destroys the cells that make insulin. So you essentially, you start to be able to not produce enough insulin to man, to deal with the sugar in your bloodstream. And typically that can vary. I mean, some kids can, if they're, if their antibodies are really attacking their, their beta cells, they can, you know, develop diabetes as early type one diabetes as early as infant one year, two year old kids that are developing this. Um, most people, I, I don't quote me on the average, but most it's kind of in their teens. Um, you typically see people developing it. My stepson in particular, I think he was about 14 or 15, I want to say, when he developed type 1 diabetes. And that's kind of around the average, I think. And then there, we're actually finding that, you know, it's it's a little more common in the later later onset, too. There's, a, there's some cases of um, kind of late onset type 1 diabetes, or these, they're kind of these variations in between the two where there's a bit of something going on with the autoimmune issue, but also some some insulin resistance and diet and lifestyle stuff too. So, so there's a bit, there's some, some other cases like that, but um, essentially that's type one. Uh, type two diabetes, the one that we're kind of talking about more today is going to be your adult onset. And that's, that's more based on insulin resistance. So your body, you don't, you're not fighting, you know, your body's not fighting the cells producing the insulin like type one. Um, but for, from various points of view, your body starts to develop resistance to the insulin that you're producing. And just like anything, you know, you could think about it like, a, you know, like alcohol tolerance, you know, when you first start drinking alcohol, you doesn't take much to, to do the trick. Right. And so that's typically where, where you want your insulin to be. You want it to be able to be very efficient. But over time, when your body is dealing with high blood sugar levels and other hormone related issues, when it comes to body weight and, 
obesity and lack of exercise, there's various factors that play a role, but ultimately your body stops responding to the insulin the way that it should, which makes it more difficult for you to get the glucose out of your bloodstream into the places where you want it and your, your blood sugar levels will rise. Interesting. And is how much of diabetes, let's talk myth or reality here, is genetic? So if you're talking about type 1 diabetes, it's, I mean, arguably 100%. I mean, there's, I wouldn't say, it's hard to say 100 with some of these things, but, you know, it's type 1 diabetes. Most of these people are, they're going to get it at some point. Like I said, whether it's when they're 2, when they're 16, when they're 26, they're pretty much going to get it at some point because they were born with the gene and those, those antibodies that are destroying their cells. And, you know, at some point they're going to develop it. Type two diabetes for a long time was probably considered more so hundred percent environmental or, or lifestyle and not genetic, but, but there's a lot of research and, and data now that there, there clearly is genetic components to it, you know, when it comes to just purely insulin uh, production and, and, and and things like body mass and, and muscle mass and, and, you know, propensity to, to build fat tissue and, you know, and all these things are, you know, pretty, pretty related, highly related to genetics. Um, but obviously there's also a, a very big component when it comes to type two diabetes of uh, environmental aspects and lifestyle aspects. And some of those things that some of the, the kind of quote unquote genetic predispositions, when you think about, okay, my family members all have diabetes, you know, so that's why I have it. You know, again, like I said, there are some genetic traits that are going to affect that, but, but also those, the, the family lineage of diabetes can sometimes be considered genetic in that it's in your family, but a lot of the family path things that are passing down can be diet or exercise because we do, there's a pretty clear, you know, relationship between, you know, how we learn how to eat from our parents and our grandparents, how we learn how to be active and exercise from our parents and grandparents. So that, you know, that kind of crosses over the, the genetics and the environmental component. And even, you know, and then there's socioeconomic factors that play a big role. You know, you're going to see higher rates of diabetes in lower income socioeconomic demographics. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that I'm kind of going down a, a wormhole here <laughs> with uh, different factors that play a role in, in diabetes. And, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of ways you can go with that. But, um, but essentially, yeah, long answer to a, to a question there's with type two diabetes, there's, there's a number of factors um, that, that can be all kind of put into being responsible for developing the end product. Yeah, and to the socioeconomic factor that you put in and the, you know, the lineage, right? So if you don't have any money, 
there could be a likelihood that is limited as far as what you can buy to feed your family, right? So most of those products that you can't afford aren't the best products that you probably should be putting in your body. Thus, that's why they cost that much. So if you go to McDonald's and they're like, hey, we got this double cheeseburger for 99 cents, right? So you have to think what's actually in that cheeseburger that could be profitable to McDonald's if they're giving it to you for 99 cents. Man, if you put that thing under a microscope, it's probably nothing in there that's real food, right? But again, mama only got so much money and she got to put something in your belly. So there you go. And then the process repeats. Like I can have a couple of dollars. Maybe I got a good job and I got money, but my habits haven't changed because I'm still excited about going to McDonald's. And then that's that wormhole that, you know, education and knowing the fact that you're on this cycle is the first step in breaking it, right? Otherwise, you're just going to keep going down that path. And that was going to be my other question is, which I think we kind of covered is, can you eat your way, exercise your way out of diabetes or to a more safe realm of diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, with the right, with the right patient or in the right setting, diabetes for, for a provider can be one of the easiest diseases to treat because you just, you know, you make a diagnosis, you say, Hey, look, you know, your A1C is, you know, whatever, and you're diabetic and, you know, and, and, and oftentimes we know the patient, we kind of know their, their background, where they come from. You know, we know their, usually we know their jobs, what their incomes are, you know, where they're at. And so we can kind of help them navigate those, those details and, and say, look, you know, this for you may, may potentially be, you know, a hundred percent is just poor diet choices and and not being active and you know and then if they take it seriously and they make a huge adjustment they'll come back and a1c's back down below where you would even consider it being diabetic and and they keep it that way because they make those changes but but like you like you touched at leading into this question a lot for a lot of people those those habits and lifestyles are ingrained and they're generational. So, I mean, that's, those things are very hard to, to break just by having a doctor say, Hey, you're diabetic. You know, that's, those things are ingrained and, you know, you know, like people say ingrained in your DNA to some extent for some families and their, and their lineages. Um, so it can be, it, you know, it can be tough for them to do that, but it is, I shouldn't say absolutely, but it is definitely very possible for patients to, um, to take a hold of that and take control of that and, and make a bad situation back to fairly normal. I've had patients come in with A1Cs of 13 or 14 and, uh, you know, which means they're walking around with blood sugars averaging in the four or 500s all the time. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you tell them what's going on and I've, I've had them come back three, four months later and their A1C is six, mm-hmm. which is, which, so for, I don't think I mentioned earlier, an A1C of 6.5 or above is considered uh, diagnostic for diabetes. Um, 5.7 to 6.4 is considered pre-diabetic and 
5.7 and under is considered normal. Right. And I say that because here's another thing. So you, you, I guess every provider is different, right? So when you lay the diagnosis, Hey, you're a diabetic or you're pre-diabetic in most textbooks, job done for the provider. Like I've diagnosed you. Right. And the difference that I think you make and a few others that I found is, Hey, here's some tips on things you can do to avoid medicine to get that A1C down. I was diagnosed as a pre-diabetic and it just blew my mind. My mother's, a, my mother's on insulin. So hello, but yeah. I try to be fit and all those things, but just being fit is not the answer. That's part of it. Diet is number uno. So when I was diagnosed as a pre-diabetic, I had questions like, okay, so I'm sure I can eat my way out of this. What do I eat? Right. And my provider basically said, Google it. Right. He didn't want to touch that. <laughs> he really, he didn't want to go down that, or maybe that's just not his expertise or whatever. Sure. Right. And so I was like, okay. So I was just sitting there like kind of lost, but I'm like, I think I, you know, I know what Google is and I, I can start this journey. And once I start diving in, I mean, there's a community there, you know, you can subscribe to these freshly in these places that deliver meals. They ask you those questions so they can say, oh, you're pre-diabetic. OK, well, let's cater a little bit that way. There's a lot of things you can do, but you have to educate yourself. And I was like, OK, my A1C, I think, was like six point five. And I was like, I don't know. So I started Googling, what is that? Right. And the charts are all universal. So you're not going to get a different answer from a different chart if you're trying to search these things independently. Right. And then what I did was I set a goal. Right. So, okay, if I'm there, I want to be in six months when I go back, I want to be, you know, down a few points. Right. So how do I do that? And yeah. uh, I remember, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but I had told you. Right. I was like, man, I'm pre-diabetic blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, well, it's not the end of the world. So I changed my diet, started exercising. And I got my A1C down to like five, six on diet and exercise. And then we were golfing and I pulled a Snickers out of my pocket. <laughs> and you tell me, you just, you said, Hey, you just threw three points on that A1C right there. <laughs> right. So, you know, but knowledge is power, you know, just yeah. knowing what you're up against and, being open to what needs to be done to reverse it because, and it's funny because my doctor said, Hey, I got some bad news. So you don't want to hear that ever from a doctor, but he was like, you have diabetes. And I was like, okay, it's better than stage four cancer right now. I'll take it. So what does that mean? And then he just start going down, educating me a little bit. And I was like, okay, so I gotta, I gotta reverse it. Is that, is that possible? Like, what's the course record, you know, because and I just I remember in his office talking to him like you have obviously you don't know who you're talking to. Right? <laughs> All I need in my life is a challenge. All right. So and then I found getting down to a number is part partly the way, because what happens, you get down there and then you take your foot off the gas. Correct. Right? And then those yeah. old habits start to creep in. And I learned you have to make this thing a lifestyle because. At some point, you might not be able to eat your way out of it, you know, depending on 
how deep it's going or your, your other things going on with your body. So it's not a game to be like, eh, you know what? I'll, I'm going to lower my A1C in the next two weeks. I'm just going to eat lettuce and, you know, drink water and I'll get it back down. So, you yeah. know, this is one of the reasons I wanted to put this out there is because it's something that that's killing folks, right? It's killing them softly a lot of times, but knowledge is power. And if you understand what this is, then the likelihood of you, for lack of a better word, reversing it or taking control of it is in your hands. And that's all one can ask for. Like you said earlier, the patient does the work. So here's the information. What are you going to do with it? And the choices is ultimately yours. So what risks are out there when you get the information, but you choose to ignore it, right? When diabetes goes untreated, what happens? Yeah, so so like you said, the uh, really the the biggest thing initially for for adults that you know for the most part don't get sick too much, stay pretty healthy. If you've got you know, especially if you've got a family history, you know, parents have diabetes, but you're say you're 35 or 30, 35, 40, 45, and you don't go to the doctor because you don't get sick, you know, that's why we kind of encourage people to say, you know, hey, you know, you might be feeling pretty good for the most part. You might not get sick a lot, but you're starting to get to that age where, you know, you probably should come in for, you know, what we call a, a annual wellness visit. You said, come in, check the boxes, make sure everything's in line, get a baseline, like you said earlier. Um, because as we mentioned earlier, that you just don't get symptoms. And some people can be diabetic for, you know, decade or more and you know if it's a slow progression they might not know and in the meantime that that's their bodies suffering from that and 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 struggling through that and 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 they will have a much harder time than if they would have been say like you where you know you went in and they said hey you know this is your a1c 6.5 and maybe the year before it could have been 6.2 or 3 and maybe you know, so you may have been working up to that for a few years, but definitely not been walking around with it for, for a long, long time. Um, so the first, the first step is just prevention and, and knowing where your numbers are at and, and keeping them. And if they're, you know, in that pre-diabetic range, get working on it before, before it gets to a diabetic range. Like you said, you know, the two biggest things, obviously exercise and diet. And like you said, diet is going to be probably the major player in that depends on the individual um because you know being obese is not the only thing that causes diabetes that's some people have a misconception as that well i'm not i'm not overweight i'm not fat i'm not gonna i can't become diabetic and that's 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 not true you yeah you you definitely have one less risk factor but there's still uh you know, you, there's plenty of people that, you know, you might see on the street that you wouldn't consider obese or overweight that are diabetic, you know, and for them, it's, there's different things going on that are affecting their insulin levels and their body's ability to, to utilize the insulin efficiently and, and lower their blood sugars than just their, their body weight. So for them, it might be a different approach. But for somebody who's, you know, maybe a little overweight or maybe severely overweight, that first thing to help your body's ability to, 
to use that insulin and lower those sugars is going to be to decrease some of that some of that fat tissue because basically our you know our the fat in our body essentially acts as an organ in our body so and and it and our insulin is is utilized by that and so the more there is the more insulin you're going to need to push out and you know it's just going to be taxing on your on your body's ability to produce enough insulin to deal with the sugar levels so by dropping that some of that that visceral that fat and that visceral fat and peripheral fat volume down is is going to be a huge uh part of of improving your a1c and it in the and one thing that I like to mention to patients is, you know, cause you might say you get somebody who's, you know, a hundred pounds overweight and to, to say, Hey, you just, you got to lose weight. You know, if you're a doctor that just says like, if you're the patient and you're 300 pounds and your ideal body weights, you know, 190, and you say, okay, oh doc, I'm diabetic. What should I do? And they say, lose weight. And then you're like, well, how, well, I can't lose a hundred pounds. There's lots of, you know, the evidence with diabetics, especially to get at least an initial drop in your numbers, you don't have to lose that much weight. Even, even like 5% can have been shown to reduce A1C levels in a patient who's, you know, maybe newly pre-diabetic or diabetic. 5% is, is an attainable goal when you tell somebody that, Hey, you know, you're 250 pounds, 5%, you know, that's 12 and a half pounds. That's a, that's something somebody can kind of wrap their head around and, and use as a target goal. And then they come back in and say, Doc, man, I got my 12 pounds. And you say, okay, 12 more, you know, and then all of a sudden they're 10% down, 15% down, and their numbers are looking good. And and one thing we all know about, you know, exercise and, and diet is the proof you, we, we need to see the the result a1c going down you see the pants fitting not quite as tight and you like yeah this feels good i like this and 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 then on top of that you know that you're doing ultimately this is gonna you know add years to your life and and people you know and that gets people motivated but but it's tough when you just kind of all of a sudden you're given this this diagnosis and then the doors closed on you and you're standing you know in a world where that that looks the same to you as it did the day before. And, and you you really don't know where to go from there. Okay, Doc. Well, I appreciate you making the time, man, to come on the old show and drop the knowledge. And I love when I trigger you and you just start going down that, you know, you change, you turn into something, you turn into a real, yeah, real doctor guy, you know, and if people know this guy, he's a, yeah. if you saw him in, the grocery store, you would not know this guy was a doctor. So uh, that's one of the things I dig about Doc B. I know we're getting to, yeah, we're getting to the end here. I, and I didn't answer the one question right at the end. And I wanted to just real briefly touch on that because it's important for people to know. You said, what are the risks if you don't do anything about the diagnosis when the doctor gives it to you? And, and I think it's something that people don't think about unless you've you know, the only real, the only way people see it is if most of the people they've had a family member go through it. So diabetes, like I said, like we talked about earlier, if, you know, it really not going to make you out of control. And then even in those cases, you know, even if you end up in the hospital because your sugars are a thousand and you're, you know, you're in certain situation that we won't get into, but you know, they give you insulin, they drop your numbers, you start feeling better, you go home, but people don't always put two and two together. When you talk about diabetes and risk, 
is that people think, well, my blood sugar is high in my bloodstream. What, you know, what's the big deal? We, you know, we use sugar for energy, but, but glucose is not supposed to be in your bloodstream. It's supposed to be in your muscle tissue, utilizing it for energy in your liver, in your fat tissues, in others, in the cells throughout your body. It's not supposed to be in your bloodstream. The longer it's in your bloodstream, the higher the levels are, it causes damage. It's almost like, it's not really how it works, but I describe to some people as it's almost like having sand rolling around in your blood vessels. You know, it's, it's not like that. But over time, that sand is doing, you know, it's causing these little microscopic tears and damage to the vessels. So when you think about the risks, you think about diabetics, one of the risks is your vision. It, it, you can, it's, I think that for adults, it's the leading, leading cause of blindness in adults in the United States because it causes damage to the small blood vessels in your retina and it, it can cause you to go blind. It, and the same damage that it does in those blood vessels in your eyes, it does in your heart. So it, it's one of the leading causes of atherosclerosis or, you know, plaque buildup in your coronary arteries. We all know when you get plaque buildup in your, in your heart vessels, what does that lead to? Heart attacks. So diabetes gives you an ex extreme increased risk of developing coronary artery disease and heart attacks. What is it doing to the vessels in your brain? Same thing, putting you at risk for plaque buildup in your brain. What does that cause? Strokes. Kidneys. Anybody you have a family member on dialysis, you know, you go, if you never ask them why they're on dialysis, more than likely it's either going to be because they had uncontrolled hypertension, controlled diabetes, or possibly both, but it's doing the same damage. And that damage to a certain extent cannot be reversed. And so once you get there, it's not going back. Yeah. All right, doc. Well, thanks for stopping by, man. Appreciate the knowledge as always. Yep. Yeah. For those of you, if you don't know, or if you've been prolonged and just going to the doctor just to get that panel take taking a getting that panel looked at, go check it out. Right? Don't be. I know a lot of people are like. Well, I don't want to know. I'm afraid to find out. Right? If you get it early enough, then you know you can you can beat it. You can fight it, especially if you got that fight in you. So I encourage everybody, even if you like Doc said, you might be feeling okay. Go get some blood work done. Let your doctor do a baseline. So you can get out in front of any potential, not just diabetes, but anything that could be going on that could be preventable. Okay. So this is the I Am Necessary podcast. I'm your guy, Marcel. As always, be needed, be necessary. If you made it wrong, make the time to make it right. And I'm out.